0: Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. And I'm Sunny Days, And we are here with our new podcast, Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. It is way past time to dismantle
1: systemic racism. If I wasn't going to be bleaked out, I would, <laughs> I would use choice <laughs> words. But I absolutely agree with you that enough is enough. I mean, it absolutely is. We have uh, arrived at a time where I'm so thankful for this movement. And the momentum, I should say, the continuity, the consistency of it, I'm like very excited, very excited.
0: So I've been working in the field of media for about 20 years and my shows have been focused on health and health is super important, but guess what? Health is not equal for everybody. In this system of systemic racism, we have got disparities. We've got healthcare disparities, education disparities, housing disparities. We're gonna cover it all here on the show, what you can do, how you can speak up, How can you use your voice? And white people, we need you to use your voice and we need you to see your privilege. We are going to cover it all on the show. And I just want to warn the white listeners, this isn't going to be comfortable and it's not supposed to be. But please just experience some discomfort. Don't just change the, I was about to say change the dial. You know, I was a kid in the 70s. Right. (laughs) Don't just turn off and go to another podcast where you don't want to be uncomfortable because. You might be
1: uncomfortable, but you're going to have tools, right, Sonny? And that's the whole point. Absolutely. And for me, uh, you know, I'm thinking of a famous James Baldwin quote, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. So you want to talk about being uncomfortable and sitting in discomfort. I mean, there you have it. So eloquently stated.
0: Oh, yeah. I I love the work of James Baldwin. And we're going to be highlighting a lot of incredible black and brown people here on the show. We're going to have books that we recommend. We're going to have different videos that we want you to watch. As a matter of fact, I'd love you to not now because I don't want you to miss a thing. After the podcast, you want to head on over to our Facebook page, Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. And I also want you to rate, review and subscribe because it helps the show. We want to reach as many people as possible. When I say to people, I want to dismantle racism, they kind of look at me like I'm insane. And yeah, just if I was doing it by myself, that would be insane. But I'll keep trying, right? Sunny, nothing's going to, you know me.
1: Absolutely. But we
0: need everybody who we can get. And I say that because something that Sunny had talked to me about is I tend to want to change everybody's mind. And there's just some people that are too far gone. So let's work on the people that are open and that are saying, you know what? Wow. I My eyes have been open and it 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 pisses me off and I have rage that it took the murder of George Floyd, but people's eyes are open. I'm sad it wasn't sooner. This is the time. But Sonny, if you want to expand on that a little bit about how we really need to go to people who want to do the work. So they have
1: to be on board a bit, right? We're not going to get the fringe. Absolutely. So Before I do that, Lisa, I'm going to read a passage from So You Want to Talk About Race, and it's a a book by Igeoma Oluo, and, um, you know, we talked about this book, and as I've stated previously, in the early chapters, she's bringing the fire. So I know you've read the the book in its entirety. I have listened to a number of chapters, but this this one um, passage stuck with me, What has been happening your entire life? Can you educate me? Now that we're all in the room, how do we start this discussion? This is not just a gap in experience and viewpoint. The Grand Canyon is a gap. This is a chasm you could drop an entire solar system into. But no matter how daunting, you are here because you want to hear and you want to be heard. You are here because you know that something is very wrong and you want a change. We can find our way to each other. We can find a way to our truth. I have seen it happen. My life is a testament to it. And it all starts with conversation. And here we are. Here we are with this podcast. I'm listen, I am overjoyed that, you know, the timing couldn't be better. And, you know, we're talking about bringing everybody on board. And of course, we want to reach people globally, like worldwide. And I said to Lisa, like, you know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I believe in living in your truth and your authenticity. People will see that and they will show up. So the people who are engaged with us right now will share this platform because there's going to be amazing discussion unfiltered. I want to be very clear about that. So, you know, put your seatbelts on and hold on for the ride.
0: And there will be some swearing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. These are very important conversations and the time is now. The time is now. This is a call to action. And we're challenging everybody within listening range to take up this cause. I mean, allyship, social justice, systemic racism, racist behavior, uh, the economics of it, redlining, like we could go on for days, months talking about the injustices and the need for equity. And we will. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's the beauty. Today we wanted
1: for you to get
0: to know us. So we're gonna talk about what we were marinated in. I hadn't heard that expression before, and Sunny brought it up to me when we first met, which is about a month ago. That's that's for the end of the show. Know, so right? stay tuned. We got a pretty fun story. Uh so Sunny, talk to us about what you were marinated in.
1: Well, I grew up in a very homogeneous environment. Like there were no white people. I grew up in I say the newly discovered Petworth, and anyone in the Washington area knows exactly what I mean because that's a gentrified area, but we will talk about that as well. Um, At that time, there were no white people in our neighborhood. My first introduction was Ms. Crowley, my first grade teacher, who wasn't very nice. Like she just, she was mean. And, you know, at that age, I, didn't understand racism. I didn't understand racist behavior. I didn't understand the word. Let me say that. So I did not connect the dots to maybe that was her issue because there was a room full of black and brown kids. She was just not nice to us. Um, moving on in the sixth grade, I had a sixth grade teacher, Ms. Elkins that I absolutely loved. This woman was a complete jewel. And, you know, I just, I remember, you know, it's not what a person does in that moment. It's how they make you feel. And that's what you remember. And I, I can remember the love and tenderness that she showed um, to me. One memory that I have of Ms. Zelkins that stands out, and I didn't think about it until like this moment, we, as an art project, we had to create an image based on the shadow of ourselves. And it was more of um, a headshot, if you will. And so it, there was a shadow and a light and we had construction paper. And when I completed the outline of my face, it was a side view. I didn't like it. I I don't want to say I hated it, but I, I was not in love with it. And so Miss Elkins talked to me to get a better understanding of like, what was the, what was the issue? And I didn't like having full lips. Like it, I hadn't grown into them. I wasn't accustomed to them, and it just, it didn't feel good. And she talked me through it and she was like, you're beautiful regardless, you know, don't let this be an issue for you. And in that moment, which is probably why, you know, as I'm thinking about this, why I, I feel like I have a connection to her because she was very soothing in that moment. And I, I mean, I'm in my fifties and I still remember how she made me feel. And that was very important to me. Talk to us a little bit about what it was like at home. Did your parents talk to you about racism? Oh, absolutely. So my dad's side of the family was um, from Alabama and I spent many summers in Alabama and, um, my, my aunts and uncles would talk to me about their experience growing up there, and um, it wasn't pleasant. They were disrespected. I definitely called out of their names, the N-word, boy, gal, uh, which gal, that word still it's, just does something to me to this day. Um, you know, they, they were not treated with equity. Um, But I will say this, my aunt Mary Alice did not play. So whenever I went there for the summers, uh, we were safe. We were um, never fearful because she wasn't a fearful woman. She brought the fire, uh, literally and figuratively. So, you know, we were her family and she protected us because she had been exposed to the rawness and the wickedness of racism.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think that one of the things that people think still is that you have to the type of racism that you're talking about, that that means that is what makes you racist. You have to be part of the KKK. You have to call people the N-word. You have to be just like this despicable piece of garbage. And that's not true because we're being raised in a society that has institutionalized racism. It touches everything. Now, you can do the work. You can unlearn. And that is the beauty. But I just wanted to point that out because I think when people hear stories, they're thinking, well, what was that in the 50s? You know, I have a story where my friend of mine, when she was uh, 13, she had a black boyfriend and she brought him to our racist, anti-Semitic neighborhood, which I'll get into when I share what I marinated in she was shocked that people were calling the N-word and people were being mean. And I remember her calling me and being like, I thought that went away after the civil rights movement. I'm like, oh my God.
1: You know, like she just was completely dumbfounded. You know, forgive me, we're in 2020. And I tell you the videos that are showing up. Now that's the difference. Everyone has a camera with a video attached. So we didn't see, and I want to be clear, we didn't see. As many atrocities as we're seeing now, because people are able to hit a button and upload it to social media, people are wicked. Even in today's time, we're still, you know, experiencing this this um, systemic racism and this racist behavior. And I know that you and I will talk more about racist uh, versus systemic racism because they are different.
0: Yeah, and then there's macroaggressions and microaggressions, and there's so much to learn. And, and I hope it's okay that I jumped in on the marinating, but it made oh, me absolutely. think that I don't want people to be like, oh, well, that was then. Oh, that was it. I mean, I know someone whose husband thinks that systemic
1: racism ended in the 80s. Like, what? Like What, what is wrong with you? Yeah, well, <laughs> That's you when know, I get mad. Maybe they don't have a clear definition of systemic racism because it is, you know, people... Throw terms around and phrases, but if you really are not knowledgeable, then you would believe that systemic racism no longer exists. But when you look at the laws and the legislature, if you look at Congress and their behavior, you see like it is a system built on racism. It's a system that is built to keep the oppressed oppressed. So we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do.
0: Yes, we do. Now, because we're friends and we've been talking, I know that for you, you experienced racism and you saw the, the systemic institutionalization of it in action when
1: you entered the workforce. Talk to us about that. I did. I, I entered the federal workforce as a young woman. And um, again, I, I hadn't been exposed In my mind, to racism. Like, I'd heard the stories from my elders about their experiences in the workplace and the federal government. Um, You know, I had an aunt that was a nurse. She would talk about her experiences at work. And so I thought, you know, I'm a younger generation. These things don't exist. I'm not going to be adversely impacted. Okay. I was in for a rude awakening. And I remember a specific incident where. One of my, I guess I can call her a colleague, but she was more of a mentor at the time. Rosalind telling me about uh, the situation that would unfold. A white woman was hired as a GS3. And I thought, wow, that's that's such a low grade. And Rosalind said, here's what's going to happen. They simply brought her in as a GS3. But they're going to create an environment for her to advance. Like at lightning speed, so within four to five years, she went from a GS three to a GS twelve. Like I witnessed that with my own eyes, and Roz had tenure, so she had been there, and the white woman exceeded Rosalind's grade level. I I was, I want to say I was astounded, like I was dumbfounded, but you know she told me and I witnessed it. And from that point on, I was like, wow, this, this is real. But that was, you know, my first experience with systemic racism. I didn't even know there was such a term for it, but yeah. And here we, <laughs> yeah, here we are in 2020. So Lisa, tell us what you were marinated in. Well, you know,
0: it's funny. I joke around that I had a pretty dysfunctional family, just but the one thing they did right was they taught us very early the evils of racism. I just want to start with both sets of grandparents, and this will be fast. So my uh, Grandpa Saul and my Grammy M, I would say they were more like lower middle class. And it's embarrassing. I don't remember exactly what my grandfather did. But they lived in the Bronx. They lived in a neighborhood of black, brown, white, you know, And they had friends of all races, and they were quite happy. My dad's parents were middle class, even upper middle class. He was a lawyer. And in the 40s, 1940s, they they were the only Jewish family, were Jewish, in an all-Catholic white neighborhood. Well, one black family moved in, and then all the Catholics snuck out in the middle of the night. You know, I'm not putting down Catholics, I'm just saying. But my grandparents stayed. And that was her community. And my aunt was telling me the other day that it was just, you know, my bubby, her faith, that's a Yiddish word for grandmother, it was just light up showing all her friends. It would be a sea of black faces and then my grandparents. And so my father was taught very early the evils of racism. My mother was taught very early the evils of racism. I don't know if my dad experienced anti-Semitism, but my mother did. She had rocks thrown at her. She was called dirty Jew. She was beat up for defending her black friends. Um, And then unfortunately, the anti-Semitism was alive and well. When I was a kid in the 70s, we lived on a street with like the most white trashiest people. And I know it's not nice to say that, but I'm sorry. They were like the most white trashiest people. And they beat up my brother when he was little and called him Jew boy. They pushed me against this cement wall on the way to school. So I was afraid to walk to school. They filled our mailbox with bees. Uh, It was pretty hellish. And I remember not understanding why I was hated. And then I got afraid to tell people I was Jewish. And it's funny that you brought up the first grade because Mrs. Nigram was a very sweet woman. But I was so upset with her because in the first grade, when Hanukkah came, she made me and Leslie Mendel, which didn't make us, but she's like, oh, I brought in a menorah. Would you and Leslie like to light it? And I was horrified. I thought, great. Now all these kids are going to know I'm Jewish. And then everyone's going to pick on me. And I was shy and awkward. And I didn't really fit in anyway. So it was just not a great time. But it's funny. I hadn't thought about that story. I can almost feel that, like, nervousness that I had. And that embarrassment and being like, oh God, I hated being in front of people, which is so funny now because now I'm just like I could go at a you know stand in front of a million people and give a talk and have fun. But back then <laughs> I I was super shy. So it was tough for me. And so I knew about people not liking you based on something that really has nothing to do with anything, right? And then when I was four, for Hanukkah, I wanted This doll called Velvet, and if people remember those dolls, this was 1971, where you push their stomach, they have a belly button, and you can pull the hair out the top of your head. I was obsessed with dolls. I was obsessed with long hair, and the one I wanted was blonde hair, long blonde silky hair, and blue-eyed. And I just wanted her so badly. So it's Hanukkah. I'm super excited. My parents said they'd get me the doll, and I had the type of parents where you got you got presents twice a year on your birthday and on Hanukkah, and that was it. So I knew it was I knew it was Velvet. And I opened the box. And it says black velvet. And I look at my parents. I'm like, what is this? How did, why did you get me this doll? And my dad's like, it's velvet. And I'm like, no, it's not the right velvet. I'm four, okay? But the thing that's so sad is my parents never sat me down and said, you know, blonde is better and blue eyes. It came from television and books. At the age of four in 1971. Because now I'm sorry to yell, sorry. When we only had three channels. So my mom said, "I'm going to get something," and she brought down this book that she had had on her uh, on her dresser my whole childhood called *The Bluest Eye* by Toni Morrison. And we talked about this book, being about a little black girl, and she prayed every day to have beautiful blonde hair, you know, blue eyes instead of her dark hair and and her curly hair because she felt like she never fit in and the other kids were mean to her. And she said, you know, there's this beauty that people think you're supposed to have. And it's not true. And it led to a great conversation. And then from then on, like, my parents were more actively aware, like, oh, we need to raise her anti-racist. Because She's already getting these damaging messages. So I will forever be grateful for them. So now you know what we were marinated in and we want to help marinate you. (laughs) If you weren't as lucky as I was to be marinated in uh, anti-racism, it's never too late. And I think that's the point now that people are waking up and saying, okay, what should I read? What should I listen to? How do I bring this up with my racist family members on Thanksgiving? And by the way, that's not enough. That's a great start, but it's not enough. But- There are ways to do it. There are ways that are more effective. And we're going to be talking about all this on the show. But to end today, we want to share how we came together. So I posted a video saying that I wanted to do a podcast on allyship. And I'm, you know, I'm just me. I'm just my usual self. And luckily, uh, Sunny saw it. Now, Sunny wasn't following me on Twitter or Instagram, but somebody reposted it. So, Sunny, tell us about this because I—it's just—it's just meant to be. We are—I taught her a word. We are besheret, which is a Hebrew word or Yiddish. Oh well, I'll have to ask my dad. Um, which means like meant to be, and we are besheret. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. So, um, as I explained, Lisa, one of my mentors, Courtney Adelaide, shared your video, and I remember this bubbly personality uh, with this genuine and sincere passion for social justice. And you you spoke about social justice, systemic racism, racist behavior. You know, that's not how you grew up. That's not, you know, what your experiences were. And you wanted to make a change. And you talked about uh, creating a podcast. Now, Anyone who knows me in my close circle knows that I have not mentioned anything about a podcast. Like that's the furthest, (laughs) that was the furthest thing from my mind, right? But when I saw the video, I felt compelled really to reach out to you. So you said, hell, I'll be your co-host,
0: dot, 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 let's chat Purple Heart. And I said, great, let me know a good to you chat, Pink Heart. And then I realized my mistake and said, good time to chat, silly face. I chat better than I type. Flower, pink flowers, <laughs> and, and then I gave you my number. And she's probably thinking, "Oh my gosh, this girl is so wacky," <laughs> which you, I am, by the way, you,
1: but in all the best ways, of course. <laughs> listen, here, here's the funny part. I realized after you sent me the video, I didn't listen. I didn't see the video from the beginning. I what? Like, yeah, so I didn't know who you were. I didn't know you were Lisa Davis, an author you know, with podcasts previously, I had no idea, but again, it was your passion and your sincerity that, again, I I felt compelled to contact you, and it wasn't until after we had the conversation did I learn that you were Lisa Davis, an author, podcast host, producer, and I was like, wow, okay, all right, (laughs) So yes, we are definitely meant to be.
0: Yes, definitely. Well, when I put out the video, I didn't know what to expect. And my biggest fear was that somebody with like zero personality was going to call back and be like, yes, I would love to do the podcast with you. <laughs> when should we start? You know, like <laughs> right because you put it out there to the world. You're like, what am I going to get? Um, uh, so this was a dream. You're the only person I heard from. I was gonna ask. the only was person to ask you. <laughs> you're the only person I wanted to hear from because again, we are Besherit, Aww. and it is a beautiful thing, and we are gonna do so much good i I just feel so strongly about this. So what we ask from you is to listen, to learn, and to take action to for white people, to sit with your discomfort. And be okay with that. And we're going to help you. We're going to give you the tools. You've got to come back each and every week. You've got to rate, review, subscribe, active allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Join our Facebook group. We're going to have really great discussions there. We want people to feel safe. We don't want you to feel judged. We just want you to come with the awareness that, that I'm willing to look at myself. That's it. You just have to be willing and, and obviously the willingness to change. Yeah. And but an open mind. First have to, oh, yeah, with an open mind and not feel like there's any attacking going on. We all need to grow. We all need to learn. And I'm really focused on the white people, but we all in this way, <laughs> this is a white people's problem. <laughs> Holy crap. Okay. Before I decided to do this podcast, I literally was going to just crawl in a ball. Uh both my daughter and I just cried and cried about George Floyd. We were crying before that, though. I mean, she's just like I was raised anti-racist. So is she. And then I just was like, wait a second. I got to do something. And a friend of mine, my friend Johnny, and my dad actually both said to me, you need to take this sadness and channel it into something to make change. And they were right. And here we
1: are. Yeah, and I I appreciate that, and I know that we will talk more about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, Tamir Rice. I know that we will, and it's uh, I might need to pause because I'm I'm actually feeling teary, but it's a very emotional space, and you know, listen, I'm okay saying that I'm not okay. I want to be clear about that because. You know, and this is a whole nother discussion, how people of color, after watching these atrocities, these modern day lynches are still expected to show up to work as our full selves. And I, you know, I I don't know if I can say this, but I'm calling bullshit on it. Like, oh, honestly. total bullshit. Yeah, it is. It's not fair. And not only is it not fair, like, I just think people don't get it. And so, again, that's. Another reason for the show to educate, to inform, you know, to have some empathy, some compassion. Just as a human being, from one human to the other.
0: Yeah, it's true, and it's funny because like people keep thanking me. You know, black people, white people. Oh, thank you so much. No, no, I'm just being a human. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I don't need you. Don't have to thank me. That this is just the way we should all act. I was lucky to be marinated properly (laughs) you know so if you weren't it's never too late so keep coming back again rate review subscribe and i'm just so excited sunny i adore you and we are gonna change things because i need to change and sometimes (laughs) i break into song i I know we're gonna we're gonna create a song